Past, Present, Future Live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we bring you an interview with Ben Nichols of Lucero. Their new album, When You Found Me, is out now. I talked with Ben about what it was like recording an album during COVID and what he's learned during this pandemic. We also went way back and talked about his upbringing in Little Rock and how his move to Memphis formed this band and formed his songwriting identity. We talked about the rock scene in Memphis at the time and how Lucero fit into that. We also talked about Ben's songwriting and how he became what some describe as a reluctant frontman. After the interview, you'll hear Ben perform Coffin Nails, I Can't Stand to Leave You, and Among the Ghosts. And of course, there's a Spotify playlist for this episode as well. And if you like listening to this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's my interview with Ben Nichols. All right, I'm here with Ben Nichols. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining. Of course. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, we. I know there's a lot to talk about, including the the album that you all just recorded, and we're going to get to that. But I first want to start from the beginning and, and go all the way back and see if you have any early musical memories. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, my earliest memory is uh, listening to my dad's old 45 collection. So just kind of stuff like the coasters, Yakety Yak, um, Rock and Robin, maybe some Buddy Holly, those kind of 45s. And I would play them, I must have been three or four, and I had a Winnie the Pooh record player, just 45 player. I had like little popsicle sticks with the characters on them, and they'd move up and down as the record <laughs> turned. And I would play Rock and Robin, Rock Around the Clock, and that kind of stuff. And just and ride this rocking horse that I had, <laughs> and I would just get on the rocking horse and just ride, 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 and just there was something about that music, uh, even at that very young age, that I fell in love with, and it really got me. Were your parents musical, or was your family musical? Was there stuff going on in your house? Uh, a little bit. My grandmother sold pianos and organs, and my dad and uncle worked for her. Um, so she'd grown up playing piano. She'd grown up on a cotton farm when she was able to. Uh, she worked her way off the farm and sold piano. So there was always music around. My dad could sell a piano, but couldn't play one to save his life. <laughs> um, I think the only song he could play is First Date uh, by Lloyd Kramer. Uh, just enough to show people that the piano actually worked. Yeah. And then that was it. Um, my grandmother could play very well. She taught herself to play. She was real sharp. I played piano at one point in time, but there was instruments around, which was nice. That's cool. You're from Arkansas, right? Yeah, I grew up in Little Rock, which... Uh, Man, I miss Little Rock. I would go back if I could. <laughs> Do you remember seeing music when you were growing up? Like, was there anything about the performance that kind of caught your attention? I feel like that happens a lot with artists uh, young. For sure. Um, Little Rock actually had a pretty good kind of punk rock scene in the mid-80s to mid-90s. And so, yeah, junior high, I remember they'd rented out the Women's City Club downtown, which is where they had like cotillions and things. Um, but these punk rockers rented it out and there was a band called trusty from little rock uh that ended up on discord records eventually um 
but I think they played and some of their small, just high school bands played and maybe a band from Texas. And that's where I saw slam dancing in person for the first time. I mean, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, and really the only thing, you've got MTV and just cheesy TV stuff. It's hard to find good musical cues sometimes. Yeah. So I think I was wearing a trench coat, maybe some kind of puffy pants. Um, <laughs> but then I go to this punk rock show, and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, what is this? And so, yeah, then I picked up a bass guitar because it was one note at a time, real easy to learn. Yeah. And I actually started writing songs kind of right from the get-go on the bass. And then, yeah, that just kind of evolved into more and more stuff. Wow. Were, were there any inspirations for you in that, I guess that this is probably teenage years, um, mm-hmm. musically, like people who you were looking up to either from a songwriting or, or playing perspective? Yeah, for sure. R.E.M. was always a big influence mm-hmm. in those days, and the, the replacements were a huge influence in high school. I think the first record, though, that I fell in love with, and I was a bass player, uh, that Violent Films self-titled record. I was 12, I think, when I got that on cassette tape. You know, I'd listen to my parents' music and the stuff that was on the radio, like John Cougar Mellencamp and Tom Petty. But that Violent Films tape, it reminded me of the the stuff that I'd, I, that I'd seen but didn't understand. And then I really got into that record, and I learned how to play all those bass lines. And I was like, ah, that's when it kind of clicked for me that I, this is what I like, this is what I could do. And so, yeah, that was a, that was a turning point for me. That record was a big one. What, what do you think it was about the record? That they sounded like me and kids I knew. Hmm. They sounded like there was a youthfulness to it, I think, that made it seem accessible and yeah. made it seem like... Uh, and that was the thing with all the punk rock stuff. It's like, you don't have to be real technically proficient. Just get a guitar, get some friends together, and book a show. Yeah. Um, and even in those early days, in you know, the late 80s, 89, 90, yeah, that was important to me. And it's uh, exactly what I did. Wow. That's cool. And and at one point during that journey, did you realize that like you could do this for a living or or how did that evolve like as you were growing up? <laughs> that came later. I think even Lucero had probably been a band. So you're talking the early 2000s, <laughs> really before I considered it ever being a career. Um, I don't know. I think in the back of my mind, I might have had some odd kind of faith that if I could just get a van and get some guys to stick with me for just a little bit, we could book some shows and go on tour and not become famous, but play enough shows to get by. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've, I've achieved my goal. I'm there. I've arrived. I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so many bands have that dream, you know, and the vast majority don't work. So, you know, it's obviously true. you had something going from the beginning that, that people were, people were attracted to. I know you guys played your first show in the late nineties, but then you had moved to Memphis, right? Yeah, I followed a girl to Memphis. I graduated from college in Arkansas. I got a history degree, which I'm not really putting to great use. Um, We've got some historically based songs, lyrics that, I don't know, maybe I'm getting my money's worth, maybe not. But um, I followed a girl to Memphis, and that relationship, of course, ended eventually. But but by that time, I'd started the band, and the band kept me kept me there. That's cool. What what were you trying to achieve with the band? I mean, did you know Lucero? Were you like, this is the band, and, and here's what we want to do? Yeah, I'd been in a few other bands, more rock and roll bands, louder bands. And Lucero was the first time I I figured out that I could write songs more like more like some of my heroes. Tom Waits was a big hero of mine in the replacements, of course. Um and I could kind of dial everything down a little bit, focus more on the lyrics, and uh there was something more sincere about it, I guess, um, than some of the more rock and roll stuff I was doing. 
as much as I love rock and roll, this kind of quieter thing really appealed to me. That's where Lucero started. Now we've, over the years, we've done plenty of rock and roll ourselves and, and grown into more of a rock and roll band really as it is. But, but at, at the beginning, it was the, the softness that I liked actually. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's that that was pretty different from what you had been, I guess, influenced by. But you you mentioned Tom Waits, so you've probably been listening to all kinds of stuff, not just the the punk stuff yeah, you talked about. For sure. I don't know. And then I still had a soft spot for all the classic rock that was on the radio, like mm-hmm. the Tom Petty and the Fleetwood Mac and all that stuff. Um was still was still in there. And and all the fifties rock and roll that I kinda grew up on, uh, Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly, that was all in there. And so Lucero, I think actually over our twenty years has kind of been a an experiment and certain influences will creep out on this record and certain influences will creep out on the other record. And, um, I don't know. I'm at least with Lucero, I'm not tied down too much to one particular genre. I can, I can follow those influences kind of wherever I want to. And yeah, that's been fun over the years. Yeah. I know that you got, you've been interviewed before about kind of genres and it's like, if you look at different descriptions of you guys, there's like 10 different genres and yeah, have a lot knows? of those conversations and it's sort of like, on one hand, genres are becoming a little bit more uh, melded, you know, like there's, you, and, and then there's the perspective of just like good music is good music. Yeah, there's only two kinds of music, good and bad. Um, and and we've played both. <laughs> we've dabbled in both genres. Um, I don't know. When it comes down to it, we're a rock and roll band, but I'll take Americana or I'll take alt country, even though a lot of our stuff doesn't sound country at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think it's helpful from a business perspective to like, as a band trying to make it, like to choose a, a path or is that not, does that not I think anymore? so, probably. We didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you want to be successful, yeah, maybe you should. Maybe you should. <laughs> uh, don't, yeah, don't do like us. Uh, pick a genre and stick to it. Uh, that's, that's the way to actually make it work. Um, we didn't do that. <laughs> You guys put out your first album in, in 2000. Um, you've, you've put out a bunch of albums that I, we want to get to to some of them because you actually went through an exercise of ranking the albums. <laughs> up oh, to that us. was a mistake, probably. <laughs> who did I, wanna, I do that for? Noisy or something? I'm not I think sure. For Vice, for Vice. For Vice. Of course it was freaking <laughs> Vice. Um, yeah, I, I remember they'd asked me to do that once and we'd set up the time with the interviewer and I, I answered the phone and I was like, man, I just can't, I can't do this. It's like, it's like having to sacrifice my babies and like throw this one in the volcano. Yeah, rank, rank your kids or I rank can't your do family it. members. Uh, and I refused. And then the next record came out and they asked me to do it again. I'm like, fine. <laughs> and uh, I caved. And so, yeah, I'm not sure if I would stick to any of those answers that I gave them in that interview or not. Yeah. What was your writing approach like on those early albums? Uh, real instinctive kind of just, uh, I, my dad was still selling pianos, but they'd also started selling furniture. Um, and so there was a furniture store, piano store in Little Rock. And, uh, I spent a lot of time in the back room there. I kind of set up a little PA and a drum set. And, uh, that's just what I did. I would just go there at night and stay up all night and play. Cause I could sing as loud as I wanted into a microphone and nobody was around. And, um, so just having that kind of privacy was, was real useful. And so I would just go there and write very simple songs about, I don't know, uh, whatever was going on in my life, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever girl wouldn't call me back at the time. <laughs> um, 
uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it was a lot of waltzes and three, four time signatures and yeah, maybe going for a kind of a early Tom Waits type of a thing. But also the lyrics were, the lyrics were really simpler. Their lyrics were more like, I don't know, early rock and roll lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. kind of Buddy Holly type Chuck Berry stuff, which I was yeah. listening to a lot of at the time too. And Johnny Cash was a big influence, especially because he was from Arkansas and I was from Arkansas. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was aiming for. But I didn't really care if I hit the mark or not. It just, as long as I could do it, that's, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to play the game. And uh, so, so yeah, I spent a lot of time just up there by myself singing and writing songs. And without thinking about it too much, it just kind of fell together. Would you typically start with lyrics or were you more musical from the beginning? No, never. And to this day, uh, I think I've only written one song where I wrote the lyrics first. Hmm. Um, So yeah, it's always a, a guitar line, usually maybe a piano line. Uh, and then you just kind of hum a melody over it. And if you can find those couple of chords and then it's that melody on top that once those can kind of lock together and you find something that's unique and that alone, those, those kind of melodies that go together, you you can feel it in your gut and that's, you're like, Ooh, all right, now I got to find some lyrics to fit that melody on top of those chords. And then that'll be the, then I got something. And that's kind of the that's still the process today. Do you have a bunch of lyrics like written down somewhere that you could use for various things? I've got phrases and words and ideas, um, but I, I never write lyrics in advance. I wish I did. That's what slows me down. We could put out records all the time if I had, if I could write lyrics, but, uh, faster, but, um, yeah, the lyrics are tricky. Uh, and usually that's an editing process that goes, I edit over and over and over again, um, even for the simplest lines. To get to the simplest lines, it takes a lot of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it and I hate it. The lyrics really, uh, sometimes I got to put myself through the ringer to really get where I want to go. Has that evolved over the years? Like, does it, does it, does the process come easier now or? Every time I'm pretty sure that the last record was the best and I'm never going to write anything that good ever again. Uh, and then I have to struggle through that to write a new record. Um, I'm pretty sure the career is over every time. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's an intense it's been that feeling. Way, it's been that way for the last 10 records. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I look back on them and I don't know, the, the last record we did Among the Ghosts is actually one of my favorites. I don't know, the maturity of that record, we, we finally kind of got closer to the mark on this one than we had in the past. Uh, I like the way the music sounds and I like the way the lyrics fall on top and but then I, I still like all the old stuff we play we play something off of every record at most shows still so there's nothing in the catalog that i'm too ashamed of I'm, yeah yeah so I, feel, I feel good about that at least <laughs> and you guys so you put out your first album in 2000 and i think between 2000 and 2006 you pretty much put out an album every year and, and, those and years, yep. we're probably touring as well can you remember a point where you were like this is working or, or this is like kind of what we're, what we're aiming for in terms of career. In those years, the early two thousands, we were all living in the same kind of warehouse space together. <laughs> it was a, uh, with no heat, no air. And you know, it was, uh, it was awful. That was actually 1372 over in park was the address of that building. And we were just constantly on tour and our rent was 600 bucks a month for all of us. And there was no central heater air, so the utilities were pretty cheap. Um, and we just had a van, a Dodge Ram van, and we just got in the van and went all the time. And so I was having a blast. I was living my dream uh, in a rock and roll band, in a van, driving around the country, having adventures. And it was awesome. But we, uh, I don't know, 
it was later, it was still later and before it felt like an actual job, then it was just having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was, it was after, I think we had kind of run ourselves into the ground by, I don't know, 2006 or seven. But then we found Rick Steff, the, the keyboard player, and he came on board before he was there. I'd, I felt like we'd kind of, we pushed the drunken rock and roll thing as far as we could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he came on board and with the piano and the B3, all of a sudden we could do things we couldn't do before. And he opened up a whole new kind of palette and it made me really enjoy it and have fun again. And so that kept us going a little bit further. Then our, the show started to grow a little bit. We, I think we took a step up at that point, not long after that. Um, and the records, I think, got better. Did he join for 1372 Overton Park or, or after? Yeah, he actually joined for Rebels and Rogues. Okay. Um, but then 1372 is really when it... By 1372, we'd learned what we could do, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we were learning. We added this horn section with Jim yes. Spake. And Jim's great. He's been on a ton of records in Memphis. Um, having guys like Jim Spake and Rick Steff, who are kind of a little bit older than us, but they played with all sorts of people. And having that kind of professionalism brought to the band, it really it gave us a little bit more life and let us keep going. Because we'd been pretty, for playing slow, sad songs, we'd, we'd been pretty punk rock about it. Um, <laughs> and, and after 10 years or whatever, it kind of worn, worn us out. But then... With 1372, we were able to go a whole new direction, kind of. And it was really exciting. It made it really fun. I credit those guys with with kind of giving us that opportunity. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, listening to that album, it's a it's a different step. I mean, the horns, of course, are, are just so pronounced. Did it feel like when you were out on the road, like, did it feel like a different show, given that you had this, like, whole different... It was, like, more of a conductor than a... <laughs> it did, and I had to... I don't know. I'm not sure if I succeeded in this, but... I felt like I needed to be a little more present, actually, at those live shows, at least for a time. I don't know. And we needed to be a little more professional, a little more musical. I don't know. We still had our bad nights, for sure. Or I had my bad nights, for sure. Still, being on stage makes me nervous uh, to this day. As much fun as I have, there's always an inner battle of that stage fright and shyness with also wanting to be an entertainer and a goofball and a... I'm not good at either one, and they're both constantly battling each other. Um, but with the horns, and we had pedal steel at the time. Um, and yeah, the band grew to nine people at one point uh, for a few years. And it was awesome. The sounds that we could do, some nights it was a mess, but when it was good, it was oh, it was so much fun. And now we've kind of pared back down to a five-piece, which is nice as well. So Lucero just kind of uh, goes through these cycles with kind of uh, with whoever's available at the time. And that's fine. I, I, I kind of like that dynamic of working with that. You take it as it comes kind of thing. The 2018 album, Among the Ghosts, that's, that's sort of pretty stripped down, as you mentioned. It is. Did that feel like you were going back to the original stuff or did it feel like an evolution? It felt like both. Um, we, it felt like we were taking all the good things from the early days and the good things that we learned from 1372 and all a man should do and women and work. And we finally figured out how to put those two things together on that among the ghost record, the, I'm not sure what you'd call it from the old days, just the, I don't know, the melancholy of those early years. Um, but with some more of the production value and instrumentation and musicality of the middle years or whatever, and I, I think those came together nicely on Among the Ghosts. Um, uh, that record really, 
if I was going to recommend a record to a new listener, that's where I'd want you to start. Um, just cause I feel like that actually sounds the way I meant for Lucero to sound all along, but we were experimenting the whole time and we were discovering new things and it was, it was great, but it was a little chaotic and this, we control the chaos a little bit more. Yeah. There's a lot of variety, you know, throughout these these albums over the past. Well, I guess you guys have been making albums for 20 years now, so yeah. And we've some are closer. We've we've some are better than others for sure. And God forbid you get on YouTube. There's some brilliant moments on YouTube, and there's some horrendous moments on YouTube. <laughs> and um, they're all captured. Yeah. Oh, they're all there for eternity. So yeah, <laughs> it's when you you know, like when I met my wife, and you meet her parents for the first time, and they're like, oh yeah, we looked you up on YouTube, and you're like, oh. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that could be, that could be, that could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. You still invited me to dinner. Okay. I guess you didn't see anything too bad. It seems like it worked out. <laughs> yeah. What is it about Memphis? I mean, do you, do you feel like there's anything about the city that, that allows you guys to succeed musically? Like, what does that bring to the music? Uh, man, for us, it was really, um, having folks around like Jim Spake and Rick Steff, um, just having this, uh, kind of pool of musicians that were really good and play on a very professional level, having those guys there and having people like we did an early record with Jim Dickinson, mm -hmm. uh, who produced big stars third, the replacements, please to meet me. He produced mm -hmm. that at ardent, which we did three records at ardent. So just having that history there and having those resources, it helped us a lot. The North Mississippi All-Stars, uh, Luther and Cody Dickinson, those are Jim's kids. And we did our first two records with them at Jim's Barn down in Mississippi. And just having that kind of opportunity, I wouldn't have had that in Little Rock um, or numerous other places. But having those music folks there in Memphis, really, it really helped us out, the studios and the history. And that was all, it all ended up being a big part of what Lucero did. And then just the general feeling in Memphis, uh, it was kind of a whole different thing, but there was a band called the Oblivions um, that did garage rock. Okay. Uh, and they were a big influence on, well, they were an influence on the, the White Stripes and the, the Hives and the Black Keys and those kind of bands. But they were just, they were even, they were much grittier and raw. And they were, uh, they still to this day, I kind of think of them as a pure rock and roll band. They hmm. are. Uh, Greg Cartwright does a band now called The Raining Sound, which is okay. excellent as well. Um, but that was Memphis to me when I first moved there. That garage rock, it had the attitude and the, you know, from the early days, the Jerry Lee Lewis and the Elvis Presley, but amped up to modern times. And that was the Memphis I kind of fell in love with. And then I ended up doing this really soft, quiet music at first. But all that rock and roll was, was in there somewhere too. And that Memphis kind of grittiness, I guess. It, Memphis isn't Nashville. It's, uh, it's not slick. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, is there like a chip on your shoulder? Is, does Memphis have a chip on its shoulder in terms of Nashville? It does. It definitely does. And I see it because I grew up in Little Rock. Um, but everyone in Memphis, they're proud to be from Memphis, and they wouldn't trade it for Nashville in 100 years. But there is something there that it's not necessarily jealousy uh, or envy of any kind, but it's a certain underdog attitude, um, which works perfectly for Lucero. Uh, we always have felt like outcasts in one way or another because uh, we don't fit into any one genre. So no matter what show we're playing, we don't fit in. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of, that's, uh, that's a very Memphis way to feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys um, started your own record label. 
an imprint at least. Yeah. What did you learn up to that point that made you think that was the right move? Like just business wise and how the industry changed. I'm just curious, like what that thought process was like. Um, man, unfortunately with Lucero, there's not a whole lot of thought (laughs) put into anything, (laughs) but over the years of making mistake after mistake, the first contracts we signed was with a local Memphis label and they never, you know, the publishing always stayed with us Mm -hmm. and me specifically being the songwriter, but just having the rights to those original recordings, I didn't realize how important that was uh, at the time. You'd always heard about rock and roll musicians getting ripped off or the old blues guys getting ripped off. And you knew that existed. But then when it came time to sign the contract, you still just sat down and signed the contract. Just, I don't know. We did, at least. I think a lot of people do. You're just excited to have a contract. Exactly. And, I don't know, for us, it did allow us to put out the first two CDs. At the time, it was CDs. Mm -hmm. And those did, they worked their way out into the world uh, in a way that, if we just waited around for a better deal or if, uh, whatever, if I tried to start a label on my own right from the beginning, it might have taken longer for us to kind of get a foothold. Um, who knows? But we did it, and there was, I don't know, we had our ups and downs with them. Uh, we ended up getting the rights to one of the records back. And then we've made different deals of different kinds over the last 20 years. Um, but there came a point where it made more sense for us to have our own Liberty and Lament label and then work with folks like 30 Tigers or a distributor. And really it just kind of depends on it for us, for people like us, it, we need help from a management company uh, and people that actually know business a little bit better than we do. Um, my guys, God bless them. Uh, just playing on stage is that's enough to keep them busy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And anything legal wise or business wise, uh, we need help. <laughs> and I so, understand luckily, you're, you're sort of responsible for a lot of that. Yeah, for kind of the day-to-day, I'm the one with the bank accounts, and I mm-hmm. actually drove all my guys to the bank because none of them had bank accounts when, when we were all living together. We started an LLC, you know, mm-hmm. and I got a checkbook. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start paying you guys with checks. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? This is oh, this blood, blood, bullshit. We, can, we don't have – I can't cash a check. I'm like – you can cash a check. It's real. It's a free checking account. And like, how am I supposed to get to the? I was the one, I was the only one in the band with a driver's license at the time, so I drove them each to the Bank of America and sat there with them and got them each a bank account. So that's yeah, awesome. that's. So there's that level of business acumen, you know, in the actual band. So luckily, uh, with with the management that we have now and some other folks helping us out. Uh, some very good lawyers, uh, and we've been able to kind of cobble together a, a, an actual, I don't know, functioning business label, which working with folks like 30 Tigers makes it a lot easier, too. Yeah. And what you mentioned some of those early mistakes, like in terms of owning the the stuff you do, were, were there any other big mistakes you guys made early on or, or in the road um, to where you are now? I don't know. I mean, really, we could have done a little more homework, and we could have taken things... Uh, a little more seriously, maybe uh, we had a lot of fun <laughs> and it was just, it's cliche, but yeah, all the booze and the late nights, uh, they definitely take a toll. Um, yeah. And if I would have been a little more focused on our trajectory, it probably would have helped uh, back then, but we survived. I don't know. We've definitely scared away 
probably an equal amount of audience members as we've accrued, um, maybe more. Uh, our crowds would be bigger now if we hadn't scared some of them off in the early days. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, I think eventually, like I said, Rick Steff came on board, made it a little more professional. We worked with some producers like Ted Hutt, who did, he did the Gaslight Anthem record that mm -hmm. got real big. Um, but he did three records with us at Arden, and he really, we learned a whole lot from him. And so in the, just in the last 10 years, um, I don't know, we've, we're playing better now than we've ever played in the past. So yeah. we're yeah. finally kind of maturing a little bit and figuring out the right balance. Well, uh, you know, we still drink whiskey on stage. I still drink whiskey on stage, <laughs> but, uh, but not like I did in 2006. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, I think the self-deprecation uh, belies the success you guys have, have built because you guys are, you know, continuing to put out albums and, and it seems like evolution wise it seems like it's all moving forward i feel good about direction. it i don't feel like we're stuck and i feel like we're writing just as good a songs as we've ever written if not better and so yeah i'm very excited about the the new record the when you found me it's got some new sounds on it it seems like every record lucero puts out we throw our audience for a loop there's always something on there they don't expect whether it's the horn section or uh whatever it is um yeah. and this one it'll be the synthesizers the last record, Among the Ghosts, had a little bit of Mellotron with some string sounds, mm -hmm. um, and we kind of expanded on that with this record. Um, we, used, we used the Mellotron a little bit, but we also used some, um, some other synthesizers on there. Rick Steff actually has a big collection of kind of vintage and antique stuff, and so it was fun bringing that stuff in. And I wanted the record to have that sound uh, kind of like the radio that I heard when I was growing up. Um, I didn't want to make a retro record at all. Um, but I did want to employ some of those elements for a little bit of that nostalgic kind of sound for me. But the most important part is always is, is if the song writing holds up. Um, and, and I think I'm real proud of some of these songs, actually. I feel like we take what we did with Among the Ghosts and just make it sonically a little more experimental. But songwriting wise, I think the two records go together really well. I want to ask one follow-up quickly about Among the Ghosts. I know this is the first album that you wrote and recorded since starting a family. Is that right? That's true. Yeah. How did that change the way you approached the writing and the, you know, the whole experience? Man, the family's been a bigger influence on my writing than I thought it would be. Um, I knew that I was going to have to change the way I wrote a little bit. I wouldn't be able to drink all night and write about failed relationships <laughs> one right after the other. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. I think I've, I've covered that territory mm -hmm. and uh, there's some excellent songs with those kind of subject matters, but I knew I was going to have to grow songwriting wise. And I kind of figured I would try to do more like a short story writer and, and, you know, come up with characters and plots and things to put into the songs. But really what happened was the family happened and all those emotions and all those things that come along with having a kid for the first time. And just the fact that I spend most of my time with a toddler, she's four now, mm -hmm. um, acts like she's 13, but she's four. <laughs> and that's my best friend. That's my buddy. That's who all my time is with. And I didn't realize that I would be able to incorporate that into Lucero songs uh, as easily as I have. I, I mean, Among the Ghosts, that song is hundred percent about just being away from your family um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. being on the road and being separated from the ones you love. And there's a lot of that on the records. And so there's still, it's still the same kind of melancholy and heartbreak that we had in early Lucero lyrics and songs. Um, 
but it's just missing your family instead of missing some random girl or girlfriend. Uh, to me, it's even more serious or it carries a little more weight than it. Those kind of feelings carry a little more weight than they did in, in the old days. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of family on among the ghosts and there's a whole lot of family on when you found me as well. You do some writing as well, like some writing aside from songwriting, right? Cause I was going to ask if it was hard to like say, okay, now I'm going to write stories with characters and develop settings and scenes. That seems hard to me, but man, the funny part is it's something I want to do. It's I've never published anything. Uh, and what I want to do, I draw, I, I can draw a little bit and I want to write and illustrate a graphic novel one day that's on the list of to do nice. things. And my little brother makes films. And so I'm always talking to him about different story ideas and characters and plots and things. And then I've got this graphic novel in the, in the background going on. And I wrote this record, Last Pale Light in the West, which was based on Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. So stories and plots and characters have always been floating around and present. And sometimes that style of writing works its way into a song. Uh, some of the stuff about my granddad is kind of like that. Um, there's a few others. I haven't mastered that. I've, I, I'm, that's something that I'm still wrestling with as a writer is incorporating those passions and those conversations and those ideas. Melding that with the Lucero songwriting, I think would be great. And I think I've had some success with it, but uh, it's something I want to get better at. Let's talk about when you found me, because it seems to me like what a um, interesting time to create an album. Given... Have you heard the whole thing? Did they send you a copy no, of it? No. Oh, okay. Oh man. All right. So you've have you've heard the single that came out? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us what it was like to record an album during the middle of a pandemic, pandemic and <laughs> you know all the things that you guys had to do to make sure that it worked? Yeah. Um, it was definitely different from Among the Ghosts. We recorded at Sam Phillips with Matt Rossbang as the engineer and co-producer. We were the, Lucero was the other co-producer. But with Among the Ghosts, we'd go in for a week, record some stuff. I went in with no pre-production. I didn't have any ideas, no song ideas, no nothing. We just went in and jammed, I guess, for lack of a better word. Wow. And we'd record a little bit, go on tour for a couple months, come back, record a little bit, go on tour. And every time you came back from tour, Matt had kind of worked something up. And you're like, ooh, that actually works. That sound, Let's follow that. But with When You Found Me, it was completely different because uh, we toured from January, February, and our last show was on March 6th, I believe. And we got home, luckily just in time, and then went into lockdown. And so basically I spent the next few months just, I had some demos that I'd been working on. And then those demos got more and more fleshed out just because I was at home all the time. Mm -hmm. So Among the Ghosts had no demos. And when you found me, had maybe too many demos and too much. I'd put keyboard parts on and whatever, all sorts of samples and different things, way too much. So with this record, it was more going in and whittling away parts and figuring out, you know, how does the drummer take this garage band beat that you put on there? And how does he make that his own? Mm -hmm. uh, or how does, you know, how does Rick take these synthesizer parts and then make them his. So it was a different kind of process for us. And it was only in two weeks instead of a week here, a week there, a week there, over a year. This was just, uh, we hadn't seen each other in a few months. And it's like, okay, let's, we've got two weeks, 17 days, I think, to learn these songs and record them. Um, and I sent the guys the demos and they, they did a great job of actually making those parts their own and figuring mm -hmm. out stuff and learning the songs. Uh, Roy, the drummer, especially, and Rick, uh, they did a great job of that. 
And so it was a different process, but uh, we'd never really worked like that before uh, with so many such detailed demo stuff. It worked out, but it's a different kind of it's a different kind of Lucero record because of it. Sounds like almost exactly the opposite, like building it is. versus tearing down, kind of. I mean, not tearing it down, is. but whittling away, like you said, whittling away for sure. Yeah, and I'm curious to see where it falls because right now th- that single is the only "Outrun the Moon" is the only thing yeah. that our fan base has been exposed to. So I'm very curious to see uh, the response to the rest of this record. I know there's some songs on there that are kind of aimed directly at that. I know, I know our fan base, and I know that they'll like a few of these songs. The songwriting is, is what I'm good at. But then there's a few experiments where I'm real curious to see what folks make of it. <laughs> um, there's some stuff on there where we kind of stretched a little bit. And so I'm really proud of it, but you never know what folks are going to say, especially the kind of hardcore long-term fans. Yeah, it sounds cool to me, but yeah, totally the... Fans are hard to to keep satisfied, you know. People um, people are people can be tough sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've and I've talked to other artists about this. You know, you people want you to kind of sound like what you sounded like when they either first yeah. discovered you or their favorite era. This happens with with a lot of bands. You, you can't know? win. But then if you do that, they're like, oh, they're stuck in a rut. They're not progressing. Yeah. They're not doing anything. And you're like, well, which one do you if I want? Um, yeah, you, it's a lose lose. <laughs> but staying I mean, staying true to the to the music, it's cliche, but like that that's the only way to make it work, right? It's really playing and writing for yourself. I always said writing these songs gets me through the long nights and the loneliness mm-hmm. and the depression. And yeah, especially in the old days, in the early days, those nights in the back of the furniture store, you've been rejected or you're in a the relationship has come to an end or whatever it is. And you just lock yourself in a room and play guitar all night and sing lyrics all night. And man, it it really kept me alive. It helped me. And now it's my family that really helps keep me alive. Uh, They're kind of my, I don't know, my rock, whatever. But when I go out on the road and I sing a song like Among the Ghosts or Outrun the Moon, I don't know. I picture my daughter maybe grown up and as kind of the heroine of that movie, of that movie of that song. Could be a movie at some point. Uh, man, maybe. We'll see. Um, I don't know. When I can get on stage and sing it and, and it makes me feel better, as long as that's the case, as long as those are the kind of songs I'm writing, then usually it'll connect with the audience. Even if there's some synthesizers on there or horns on there or whatever that maybe throws them off for a little bit, once, once they let those songs sink in, if it's the kind of song that makes me feel better in the dead of night... Uh, it'll probably make them feel better in the dead of night too. So, so yeah, as long as I can write songs that I like, I, I think we'll be okay. That's awesome. Um, what, what did recording this album, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, I understood that you guys, you know, tried to mitigate the risks and wear masks and all that. What, did, if you've been able to reflect, like, what did that make you feel about the future in terms of playing music, recording music, life? I'm actually pretty optimistic for, um, for the situation that we're in. I'm mainly worried about the venues themselves. Um, if you're a restaurant, then yeah, you can sell takeout food and maybe, you know, coast by for a little while. But if you're just a music venue, there's, you're done right now. There's, you've been done. There's been nothing. Uh, if you're a bar, maybe you, can, maybe you can weasel by on some things, but if you sell booze by having bands, you're out of luck. And I, I've heard of numerous venues that are already closed and more that are possibly going to close. I don't know if you're a younger band right now, you kind of have to just wait it out. I think, um, we've been able luckily to do online live streaming shows. 
uh, and kind of coast from, you know, we do one every two or three months and we can just barely coast by uh, on the income from those. Um, so we've been all right so far. And I'm, I guess I'm optimistic in the fact that we've been able to go and record a new record. We're going to release it no matter what. And we've been able to survive uh, with the band and the band's been able to survive even through all this. And the fans are still there. We just have to do things uh, this way instead of yeah. talking in person. Yeah. We have to do them via the internet. And I'm, I am optimistic that, uh, about the fact that we've been, able, we've been able to make it work still. Even It's not ideal, but we've been able to make it work. And the folks are still out there. I'm optimistic that they'll still be there once things start to go back to normal. Whatever that new normal is, yeah. uh, I think people will be open to making it work one way or another. I think next year, you know, we're looking at playing more outdoor shows, obviously. The record comes out at the end of January. So maybe in the spring, we can set up an outdoor tour. And yeah, we'll just, we'll do what we have to do. The funny part is once we're back out on the road, we'll probably still do live streams. Just because it's nice, people get to tune in from England or Australia or wherever they are in the country. And I'd never really thought about doing one before. And now that's part of our existence. That's part of what we do. It's good to hear optimism. I mean, you got to stay optimistic during all this craziness. Let me just ask you one more question. Creatively, you mentioned the graphic novel. Now you you have this other album that seems like it's probably done at this point. What else have you been putting your creative energy into? I've been working on other musical things. I've only put out one solo record ever, that last Polite in the West record. And I would like to do another solo record. We'll see what the backlash is against all these synthesizers on the new record. But I have a whole solo album, no lyrics, but 10 songs that's mainly synthesizer based. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if I have the courage to ever let that see the light of day. Um, Go for it. But I've, I, man, I think I will. I've, I've had to learn new, speaking of genres, I've had to learn. I didn't know that, well, there's synth wave and there's pop synth wave. And those are two different things, apparently. And then there's other synth, there's numerous synth genres that I'm trying to familiarize myself with because I'm not sure exactly which one I'm, I'm a part of. <laughs> um, and like I said, we don't want to go down that road again. We want to pick a genre and just stick with it. <laughs> so we'll see. But I'm actually already working on new Lucero songs for another Lucero record that might be more of a, more of a straight ahead guitar rock type record. And then, yeah, I'm always, I've had this graphic novel that I've been working on for 20 years that is always there. I got an iPad with an Apple Pencil. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. So now that Sweet. I've got that, my excuse was like, oh, now I'll finally do that graphic novel that I've been talking about for a decade. And we'll see. I've been drawing a lot more. Uh, I actually drew the video for Outrun the Moon. There's kind of awesome. a lyric video that's out on YouTube where I kind of illustrate the story. Some very simple animation um, that took me way, way too long to do. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. There's always a little, there's some drawing. There's some synthesizer in. There's some uh, dabbling with new Lucero songs. Keeping busy no matter what. That's awesome. Last question is, um, if, if you had to give the Ben of 20 years ago some advice, what would you say? Just relax a little bit. Don't be so hard on yourself. Whatever situation you're in right at that moment, uh, it's probably not as important as you think it is. Just throttle back a little bit and maybe just take it a, take it a little bit easier on yourself. <laughs> it probably would have been useful information for me to have. It's dumb, but when I remember when I was five at a birthday party and uh, we played the game, it was like girls versus boys, and you put an egg on a spoon and you race from that part of the garage to that part of the garage. And whoever gets there without dropping the egg first wins. And every time I would just 
I would just run as fast as I could and the egg would fall every time. And the girls would always like walk slowly, mm-hmm, slowly, mm-hmm. but they'd make it and the egg would be intact. But I never, I just always run no matter what. I, and I feel like I've been doing that my entire life. <laughs> just running with the egg, the egg always smashes and I just can't slow down. So that's kind of the theme of my life, I feel like. So if I could tell my old self to just, just slow down and get the egg to the other end of the, the finish line, everything would be fine. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Well, thanks, Ben, for taking so much time, and congrats on getting getting this album wrapped up, and we're looking forward to hearing some music. Man, thank you so much for giving us a, a listen, and thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. And now here's Ben performing Coffin Nails, I Can't Stand to Leave You, and Among the Ghosts. Hey, y'all. This is Ben Nichols from Lucero. Uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I just had a real nice talk on the Past, Present, Future podcast. And so now I figure I'll play you some songs. Uh, The topic of family came up uh, a number of times during our conversation. So I figure I'll play some family songs. Uh, This first one is called Coffin Nails. It's off the new record, uh, the album titled When You Found Me. It's kind of about my granddad and his father, my great-grandfather. My granddad was in World War II. My great-granddad was in World War I. Uh, they're both born and raised in Arkansas. I was born and raised in Arkansas. And I don't know. Well, I, we'll see what you think about it. Uh, called Coffin Nails.
about family when I first wrote it. Um, I wasn't sure what it was about when I first wrote it. Uh, it wasn't about anybody in particular. Uh, but now when I sing it, I, I think of family. And it means more to me now than it did back then. Uh, so, let's turn on some... Uh, turn on some delay. Uh, and see what this sounds like. I can't stand to leave you. Thank you. 
song a, a few times uh, it's on our previous record called Among the Ghosts and this is the title track Among the Ghosts um, yeah thanks again for having me y'all I appreciate it
Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. 